Welcome. Y saludos, amigos. A nuestra presentación, Revenge of the Pod, presented by the Room 303 Network. We are a pop culture pod primarily focused on film and television. I'm your host, Luigi, and this is my co-host. Jason, what's up, everybody? Dude, I'm impressed. You got it right. You got you got the you got the presentation right this time. <laughs> got him. Got him. Uh, we're also joined by a special guest today from Room 303 itself, uh, JC Colon Mendez. Jermaine, uh, say hello to the audience, sir. Yo, what it do, baby? <laughs> All right, we've got an amazing show for you guys today. As you can see, according to our title, we are going to be talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We're also going to be talking Twisted Metal and a few things that we have been seeing and hearing from around the web, including uh, just some things I wanted to touch on that we talked a little bit about last week. Uh, let's get into it. Jason, how you been, man? Oh, I've been great, dude. Uh, my family came to visit. Uh, well, my sister, one of my sisters did uh, with the kids uh, before their before they started school on Monday. So that was cool. Uh, shout out. Uh, they came because my cousin Tina, shout out to Tina. I don't know if she listens, but they want to give her a special shout out. She finally finished her uh, PA school, physician assistant. She's officially a physician assistant. Uh, been years since she's, uh, see, she's 27 now. Since she was 18 in college, just grinding out in that medical school. Uh, so, yeah, we're really proud of her. Uh, so that's why my my sisters came to visit. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to uh, Charlie, uh, my, my niece. Uh, she's starting middle school, sixth grade. And then a huge shout out to Sebastian. Um, it was, as you know, football season's right around the corner. And he loves to mock draft with me. Anytime I have a chance to send out mock drafts to practice for fantasy football, he, he jumps right in. Uh, and I was really impressed because he was talking to me while he was uh, while he was at, at my house. Right. And he was just like, hey, I've been listening to uh, fantasy footballers. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I've been really like learning a lot. And I, I can tell that he he knows what he's talking about for a kid that's in the eighth grade. I think uh, by the time he's older, he's going to be kicking all his buddies, friends in fantasy football leagues when he joins that league. So it, it was it was very impressive. Uh, reason why I bring that up is because uh J-Man and I are going to go see uh, that podcast live in L.A. Uh, we're really excited. Oh, I'm really excited about that. Um, so, yeah, dude, it was fun. Man. It was a fun, fun weekend, dude. What, what about what about you? Uh, pretty quiet, man. We we had, we had uh, ate out a few times, but that was about it. Obviously, went to go see a movie, uh, hung out with the family, man. Just enjoyed time with them before school starts this Wednesday. So just calm before the Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I think it's going to be a good year. So uh, pretty excited. Pretty excited. Jermaine, how about you, man? Says every teacher before the first day of school. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, oh, man. Fuck these kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to be complaining in two weeks on the pod. But uh, no, dude, I've been good. Should I still be teaching? Is this... Is this the future I want for myself and my family? <laughs> uh, no, I, I have been good. My birthday is tomorrow, so I, you know, took a little, took a little time this weekend to celebrate that. Don't really celebrate my birthday. Not, not a big birthday guy. It was just never a big deal Same. for me growing up. Like my parents, like once I hit like 
11 or 12 and I was pretty self-sufficient. My parents never really made a big deal, but my pops just sent me my yearly birthday stipend. Uh, the cost nice. of doing the cost of doing business for him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I had a 48 ounce uh, tomahawk this weekend. Uh, had some sides, got a birthday cheesecake. So I we finished that with the sides and the cheesecake. No, no, no. I also had a 24 ounce tomahawk steak leftover for uh, dinner on Sunday. <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay, that makes way more sense now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, gave the bone to my buddy's dog, Finley. So, uh, very nice. Oh, well, happy early nice. birthday, brother. Happy early birthday. Appreciate it. All right. I'm actually going to let you guys kind of riff on this next thing that I wanted to bring up on the pod. Uh, just so those of you know, uh, U.S. women's national team lost to Sweden. Uh, according to most headlines, it's a historic loss, along with. Uh, I think it was the Netherlands, Canada, Germany, and Brazil that were all also taken out. Uh, so this is an interesting Women's World Cup. Uh, what do you guys think about all this? Uh, I mean, as far as the U.S. women's, if I'm being completely honest, really disappointing and, uh, to me personally, kind of upsetting. Uh, they started off hot, obviously beating Vietnam 3-0 as, as, as they should. Uh, but ended up tying with the Netherlands and, and tying with Portugal in, in the group stage and just barely qualifying to the round of 16. And it, it's kind of upsetting because, it, yes, don't get me wrong, if, if you pass by the group stage and it, it, it's actually a huge feat to a lot of teams, uh, you know, worth celebrating. But we're, we're talking about the U.S. women's who are, you know, ranked one, you know, the, the favorites to win it. Uh, celebrating after a tie and just kind of struggling with the teams that they played. I mean, I don't know how good the Netherlands and Portugal is are. I'm sure they, they're good teams, but it, it's just kind of, I don't know. You just kind of felt that vibe from what I've heard. I mean, a lot of the games were late at 2 a.m. So it's, I couldn't catch a lot of them, but I saw a lot of the highlights and it's just, it was just kind of disappointing. Um, so they got a lot of backlash for that. And then they ended up uh, going into extra time with uh, Sweden in the round of 16 and then going to shootouts where they had the lead and their, I guess their leader, uh, Megan Rapinoe, uh, misses that that shot. And then she ends up laughing after she misses that shot, uh, which is not a good, it's not a good look. Right. And then after that, they missed like, I think three more in a row after she missed and they ended up losing. Um, obviously, they ended up breaking down crying. So you hate to see that, but it was just uh, very disappointing uh, for the expectations for the U.S. team. Uh, as far as the other team goes, that, that's crazy. I mean, it happens, right? You know, sometimes a team gets hot and you get knocked out and it happens. Um, but just their performance overall for the U.S. women, it was just kind of kind of disappointing. Yeah, I mean, when you're the favorites going into the tournament and you only score one goal against teams not named Vietnam, it's a bad look. Uh, the coaching failed to adapt. The players failed to adapt. Injuries decimated the midfield, uh, which was – going to bring questions into, you know, the validity of, of the forwards moving forward. Um, you know, played excellent defense versus the other teams, you know, only gave up the one goal to uh, the Netherlands, right? All Very, very good team the Netherlands are. Um, but, you know, this is kind of widely expected for me. Um, they just, there's, they, they, they're coming out of, 
an unprecedented run of dominance, right? And it is incredibly difficult to sustain, even with, you know, the population and the entire engine that's behind the U.S. women's national team. So uh, when you dominate at that level, eventually the rest of the field has to catch up to you. And that's what's happened at this World Cup, as Luigi evidenced with the other departures, right? Uh, but now it actually presents a, a fascinating, you know, dichotomy that's going into to the, you know, um, quarterfinals and beyond uh, that presents England, Spain, and you got to go with the Australia as well as some of the favorites coming out of this. So it'll be a very interesting. Uh, a part of me is kind of is a part of me is very very bummed, right? Because I always root for the U.S. Women's National Team, but they've made that impossible to do. Um, this is like one of the first women's world cups where I'm not like, I'm not actively watching. Um, but they made their bed. They have to lie in it. And I'll be curious to see where they come out of this women's world cup, right? They, they did this whole equal pay thing, despite them not actually generating money to pay people with. Um, so I'll be curious to see if this world cup actually makes the revenue to at least cover just the pot. Um, and I won't be surprised if there are some uh, nice massaging of the numbers for them to uh, make this look good for the women's women's World Cup as a whole. Um, it's incredibly disappointing with the time difference as well, right? Because they they suck themselves out of an entire market in the U.S. No one's really going to be plugged in to watch it live. But uh, I'll tell you what, uh, walking around the United States for the U.S. Men's National Team World Cup, and just being in any and every city, I was in Seattle for one of the games. I was here in San Diego, and then I was uh, in – I think that was it. Um, yo. Oh, actually, I was in uh, El Paso as well. Bro. Yeah. Walking around the U.S. when the women's national team is playing is night and day compared to the U.S. men's national team. And that just tells you why you aren't getting paid money. It's economics, right? If you generate money, you're going to get paid $68 million a year. See Anthony Davis, right? If you don't generate money, you ain't going to get paid. See uh, Room 303 currently as presented. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so the whole thing is, is pretty disappointing. But, uh, you know, I have hope. And uh, excitement for the future. Rose Lavelle will get healthy. Uh, RIP Julie Ertz, who retired. Uh, Megan Rapino is retiring as well. We do have Trinity uh, Rodman and um, God, is it Alexis Smith uh, as our as our flanking wingers? You know, we just need to figure out who's going to score goals. We need to figure out who's going to coach this team and bring them into a more more you know sustainable brand of football and and that's really where we're going to go uh players are going to get healthy and the u.s women should be right back in it in four years and you know hopefully we're we're there rooting for them hopefully the sport continues to grow but uh, uh my, my my uh expectations for that are limited um i, I think you you kind of said it pretty well um them losing in this type of fashion um maybe it kind of is a good sign because, you know, it's like that kind of like slap in the face. Like you kind of get hungrier after that. And it's like, all right, we know what happened four years ago. They might have that hunger to like really perform well. So I hope they get that drive in them. Uh, who's ever in that squad. So, yeah. 
Yeah, no longer the fat cats, no longer the hunted. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yes, I promise you the U.S. women's national team will will come back and they'll be perfectly fine. Like the redeem team, uh, as Luigi said in our chat. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Absolutely. It sounds like uh, – Hopefully. Sounds like- definitely think they can compete they just uh it sounds like they were taken off guard by the competition uh yeah so they they were incredibly disrespectful going into this world cup like they were almost like their bravado is tight i love shit talking so i'm not like gonna say that's bad or anything but hey man if you're gonna be talking that you know what i mean you're gonna be talking that you gotta show up and back it up because if not we're gonna make fun of you you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Not not one, not two, not three, not four. <laughs> I like that. I'm, I'm just saying, we're gonna make fun of you. But uh no, injuries absolutely played a factor. Uh inability to score goals, which is the US men's national team problem, uh played a factor. And yo, that's a shit bounce in the penalty kicks. Yo, that goalie was all over that shot. You know what I mean? She was all over that shot. That was crazy, dude. So for it to to just get over the line, that you know, by just a smidge is like, hey man, it took almost an act of God to beat you. And I think it'll be a blessing in disguise for the younger players who now have to you know lift this back up and and carry that on. Yep. And you know, they'll have to rebuild the image as well of you know U.S. women's soccer. Because uh, it's taken a beating with just how they've handled themselves. You know, I, I'm, if you're going to represent America, for you to be flagrant and say that America sucks and this, that, and the other, when we have it so well here compared to the rest of the world, it, it's very disappointing to hear from that. As well as, you know, it's your opinion. That's perfectly fine. But then don't represent the United States of America if you really think we're that terrible. Yeah, it seems uh, paradoxical, hypocritical, if you will. And uh, that's that's how they operate. So, but that, I think we're good with the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, looking forward to 2027. All right, I did want to cover a couple of things. Have you guys yet watched Secret Wars? Two episodes. I'm not not excited to watch it. No. All right, so I wanted to give an update because I didn't give some information last week. I was hoping you'd watch it, Jermaine, but. Uh, I did want to say my rating for it is a 4.9. Uh, I feel like that's mostly because the CGI was better than I've seen it in a lot of MCU shows. And <laughs> actors are at fault for how bad this show was. Like, they acted their asses off. Uh, the only one that I could say, like, kind of phoned it in a little bit, but it was only because she was given the same emotions throughout almost every scene was Amelia Clark. Uh, again, I, I am excited where they're going to take her character. We'll see how that goes. I don't want to say too much since you guys have not watched it, uh, but I thought Don Cheadle was fantastic. The guy that plays the main villain, I, I forget his name, British actor. Uh, he also came out in the Barbie movie. Amazing. <laughs> I, I liked him. Yeah, who, he, didn't, who didn't come out in the Barbie movie? Oh, that's yeah, that's good, good point. Um, and I just found it interesting that after all that, I still will only give it a 4.9. I'll, I'll touch more on it when you watch it, Jason. But, uh, yeah, it's it's not great. Um, but I did want to give you guys the rating and give the actors their props because it's really not on them. 
Uh, uh, Luigi, his name was, is Kingsley uh, Benadir. Benadir? Benadir. There we go. Olivia Coleman, too, did an amazing job. Kingsley Benadir, Olivia Coleman, Olivia Clark, uh, Olivia Clark, Amelia Clark. Uh, all of them did great jobs on acting. It was just, I felt like the writing was some of the worst writing I've seen in a Marvel movie. It did not capture <laughs> my. It did not capture my attention throughout the show, and what I will say is that the show, the choices the show makes, here's what it does. What it does is that it makes you think that there are high stakes, and that this could be an MCU altering show, but then it gets too scared to actually follow through on any of them, and immediately retcons every choice they make throughout the show. No, not comics. Not the comics? Not comic books. Comic books never retcon. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> that, that was something that I was talking about before. I was like, I don't know if that'll translate well to screen. And to me, it doesn't. It really does. Like, I can't buy in the way I would. Like, it just feels so cheap. It, it, it feels cheapened. You know what I mean? Uh, well, the problem is, is it didn't seem like they actually had a plan for Secret Invasion, right? Where in comics, Mike Brian Michael Bendis had been riding Avengers for well, actually, I don't know if he was riding it for seven years prior, but they were planting seeds in the Avengers and all of the Marvel comics leading up to Secret Invasion, right? So there was there was hints at what could possibly be, who could possibly be. Right, so if you play Secret Invasion like that, then it's it's it can work. But they didn't have any plans for this. This was hastily thrown together. They wanted to use Don Cheadle, Nick Fury, etc., and accent the scrolls some more. So I heard they ruined Super Scrolls. So I, I that's kind of what made me out on the on the show as a whole. But uh, I mean, just watch it. Just watch it, and let me know what you think. I will, you know, you know, I will. It's Marvel. I'll watch it because I'll end up watching it too. <laughs> I really want to know what you guys think of this show because I have opinions. I just don't want to go all in yet. Uh, it's all, it's all good. Okay, so let me move on. Uh, Barbie has reached a billion dollars. Margot Robbie actually predicted this in her pitch to Warner Brothers. Uh, it's the fastest movie Warner Brothers has ever made to get to a billion dollars. Oppenheimer is at 553 million, uh, which is pretty impressive in its own right. Uh, TMNT is at 43 million uh, world, no, domestic and 51 million worldwide. I think that'll be bigger. I think it is a, uh, a staggered release, if I am not mistaken. It's predicted, it was predicted to finish at 30, but it's clearly going over that. The Meg has similar numbers domestically, Meg 2. But it's making 142 million worldwide, and let me tell you guys, a movie does not have to be good to make that money because it got zero percent initially on Rotten Tomatoes. No uh, way. It's sitting at 29 percent. It's it's gotten 29 percent up since its uh, premiere. Okay, but that's that's 20. It's it's at 28 now by critic score. Audience score is 72 percent. You know, I don't really trust the critic score. Fair enough. I've just never seen such a low score for a movie, but it did come up to 20%, which leaves you to think like, oh, how do the audiences feel? Uh, and I did, again, something that I did talk about last week, but I wanted to add in a couple of thoughts. 
and see what you, Jason, and what you, Jermaine, since you weren't here with us last week, think, uh, was my question is, do you guys think Barbenheimer was a bit of a harbinger for the, for the beginning of the end, one might say, for the superhero era in cinema? Uh, Jason said this last week, and it keeps coming to my mind. Like, since he said it, I was like, yeah, yeah, I've been thinking about that. Like, has, is this a sign that we're going in a different direction? Uh, Aaron Hammond called it the smells like teen spirit uh, comparison for, you know, metal, the metal, 80s metal era ending with uh, Nirvana coming out to end the superhero era. Uh, very ironic there. I now, see a J-Man shaking his head. What do you think, man? I'm so sick of this take. <laughs> People are so desperate to kill superhero movies because they think superhero movies are what's wrong with cinema, right? It's always the the artsy farts look look down on you, the Meryl Streeps, right, who think they're better than you because I'm an actor, a thespian, I do, I per perform in film. This has nothing to do with that. I do true. This has everything to do with the fact that movie theaters will probably be dead by the end of the decade. So this right. is what people this is what people aren't talking about, right? Everyone wants to take the shot at superhero films. Everything is flopping. Every movie with big critical acclaim right now is flopping in theaters, right? They're not writing good. They're not writing good stories, so people aren't tuning in for it because they know the studio's bullshit. They take intellectual properties that people know and love, and they twist them to fit whatever political agenda they have, whether it be right or left. Right? Tell me how Barbie is now a feminist icon. <laughs> Was it Barbie an unrealistic expectation? put pressed upon girls when we were growing up that they can't ever live up to Barbies because if you extrapolate the measurements, because God forbid, that's what we do with action figures. If you extrapolate the measurements, no woman can ever do, no one could ever have that. And now this film is a feminist icon, woke ideology. Let's take a shot at the patriarchy. Cool. If that's what you really think is the problem, Go ahead, do it. It's wildly hypocritical to use this doll of all dolls. Uh, right. they, have you seen the movie? No, I have not. Oh, you should you should watch the movie. Yeah, they, I'll, they, I'll watch it when it comes to streaming. I'm not paying money. Specifically address exactly what you're talking about. Actually, I know, and that's what's so funny because they realize how fucking full of shit they are. Right? <laughs> Movies overall, as a whole, are have been underperforming. Right? Because it's multifold. Uh, during COVID, studios were building up streaming platforms. What did they do? They wrote contracts with movie theaters that prevents those movies from sitting in cinema for two, three, four, six months. Now the movie comes out and you, the consumer, know you can wait 40 days and have it digitally. Yeah, that's all the news. What's the incentive? What's the incentive to go to the cinema? Well, here's the thing. Even before COVID, like let's take COVID out of the picture. We just they just it sped up the timetable. But the realistic thing to look at here was that cinema has been going down since before COVID. 
Right. Most big tentpole films are the only ones that have been making the money, right? They are the ones, including Avengers Endgame, right? Or the ones holding up uh, cinemas sometimes for the year. They were the ones bringing in the money. Uh, ironically, it does feel like, to me, they always like to blame superhero movies for this. I do feel like there is this is the end of an era for me, I think. I think we're going to get like tier two versions of uh, superhero films from here on. But I don't think it has to do with superhero movies ending the cinema. That I don't, the world of cinema. I think the cinema is going that way, right? <laughs> I, I don't think superhero movies, there's an issue with that. You tell a good superhero story, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Spider-Man No Way Home, Sp Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a superhero movie. You tell a good superhero movie, people show up in droves. They give you the billions that you're looking for. But there, therein lies the problem. What? Build it, build it and they will come. Um, exactly. You write good stories. People tune in. Been an issue with uh, with superhero films. Jason, do you, what do you think of uh, the state of superhero films right now? For me, oversaturation is is an issue because DC is not coming out with good stuff, and the shows are being becoming very questionable. Yeah, I just think they're trying to push out as much content as they can. Definitely slow it down. Like uh, Jermaine was saying, there there has been some great superhero films. Like you said, Guardians of the Galaxy three, the Spider Man in into the across the universe, yeah, across the Spider Verse, yeah. across the Spider Verse, yeah. Like those are some of my favorite films. That might be still. It's kind of like I don't know if it's my favorite Spider Man film, but yeah, there, there is some great content, uh, and it's just maybe the lack of writing and stuff. So, and uh, here's yeah. the thing: this is why I say, and this is why I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep stepping on you, but this is why I say. I don't think it's superhero movies. I think it's cinema as a whole. When Bob Iger, when Bob Iger comes out and says we're actively looking to offload properties, Disney, right, lost eight hundred million dollars. When Bob Iger comes out and says that, you know you messed up, right? Here's the other thing that nobody's talking about. That nobody's talking about. They had a, a strike a few years ago that held up writing. And now for the first time since the sixties, the on-screen talent and the off-screen talent have decided to boycott at the same time. All the movies that you were expecting for next year, all the television show you were expecting for next year, all the movies you were expecting in 2025, and so on and so forth have all now had their legs effectively cut out from underneath them. When you are looking at movie times next year, this time next year, you're going to have almost no new property to go see. Yeah. Right. He, here's the thing. AMC wasn't supposed to make it through COVID. If it wasn't for a, a subreddit <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the power of the internet, AMC would already be closed. And that was peak superhero earning, right? The only movies who were getting people to show up, the only ones. And then here's the other thing. And this is how it's so pretentious seeing these people calling for the death of the superhero. If the death of the superhero occurs, the money these studios make from these tent poles, the billions and billions, you cannot make your pet films anymore. 
You can't make the ones that get people awards. You can't make the ones that get people nominated because guess what? Those studios no longer have the appetite to lose money. So when people sit here and speak to the death of the superhero movie, it's going to come just like the Westerns. It's going to come. Stop trying to blame what is actually making money for the rest of your faults. Creativity, bankruptcy and creativity is absolute enemy number one. Right? They don't make new properties. They take properties that our generation already likes, slap a new coat of paint on it, put some ideological agenda behind it, and then shovel it down your throats and try to tell you, why don't you like these stories? They're good. Even though they no longer fit the spirit of the characters. Star Wars no longer fits the spirit of the characters with the new trilogy. But I'm the asshole for, for saying it's a bad movie because there's a female lead and a black lead. Right? Yeah, so it has, now it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the writing. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Daisy Ridley, phenomenal actress. It has nothing to do with John Boyega, phenomenal actress. But the minute you speak out against it, you're the asshole. You're the douchebag. You're this. You're the problem. You know who's not the problem? Me. Because I actually go to the movie theaters. The people who complain about it don't go see movies in movies in theaters anymore. Right? The community, the community of watching a film together and everyone sharing that experience, much like all community aspects in life, is being ripped away from people by the government. And they're trying to tell you it's for your best. They're trying to tell you it's for your best. Anywhere you can go and break bed and share time and meet and congregate with people of like minds who enjoy the same things. And then they're going to tell you it's the superhero's fault. The superheroes who put a boom in cinema. I don't know if it's a government thing. I think it would be more of a corporate thing. But yeah, no, it's, it's the same thing with COVID. What's the first thing they did? They took away all your ability to meet with your loved ones, right? And that's what's crazy because people can't survive without contact. That's why suicide rates are sky high. That's why, especially in young men, young men are just killing themselves regularly now. Why? Because if they try to talk to a girl, they're creeps, right? So therefore, they don't even try. Therefore, they're always by themselves. Therefore, suicide rates skyrocket, anxiety, depression. You know what What builds the ability to fight anxiety and depression? Going out in the sun. What did they tell you to do? They didn't let you go in the sun. They, don't let you, they didn't let you meet with anybody that you loved. Because those are the things that can instill positive behaviors in you. But instead, now everyone has anxieties through the roof. I don't know a single person who doesn't talk about their anxiety. I have anxiety. And what's crazy is imagine thinking our family, our parents, didn't have anxiety. Because that's how our generation walks around. Sometimes you got to suck it up. But we, we can't tell that to anybody now. You're insensitive. Um, I would say that our parents' generation just didn't, they, they white knuckled it. So that would be, I mean, I watch them and they're like, Bro, they're we, all, we all know people in that generation. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. We should probably do breathing exercises. <laughs> yeah, dog. Hey, come here. Let me give you a hug because touching is super important. That's the first thing they tell you with your baby, right? Skin to skin. Skin to skin, right? Touch is so important. 
and all that shit's being ripped away and people are sitting here because they love the comfort of their own home, right? If anyone is faced with the adversity of being in the sun from our generation now and below, it's the worst thing that you could ever do to them. How, I mean, how dare I be hot? Yeah, the addition to that would have to be the fact that we're, we're just pushing more and more into a virtual world, right? Like, I mean, Facebook with, with Meta, uh, we're looking at, I mean, I watch kids interact on a regular basis. And if you don't make them put their electronics away, they will be in front of those electronics with people around just together, like with a sense of community, but there's, there's little socialization. It's very, uh, it's, it's very separated, yet they, they want to be together while doing it. It's a weird dynamic. I'm not really sure how that's going to affect these kids going forward socially. Because I, I will have to say, like, it's, it's nothing I've ever seen. I don't know how people are going to react. And yeah, that, that's what's so fun. Like, to me, the, the, the end of an era is it's not superheroes. It's movies. It's the end of an era. The end of every city having their own cinema where everyone can go, that's coming to an end. Like all of that's coming to an end. The streaming services are, go, are, are their own worst nightmare of their own creation. I feel like, I, feel like I, I can almost agree with you on, in the terms of how many cinemas will no longer exist. But I feel like cities, it'll, it'll be like going to a Broadway show. Or it'll be like going to a, a musical, well, for example, Broadway show, right? Um, it so could also be locations where you can go, but it's not going to be the number of theaters we see now. Uh, yeah. Be like big films. Only the big films will come out on those. But like, I guarantee you there's a movie theater in Plano, Texas. If this all comes to fruition, that movie theater is closed. Right? Parkland, Texas, closed. Those, those small cities... Those movie theaters are going to be the first casualties. Sure, if you live in Houston, if you live in, in Phoenix, if you live in, in New York City, you're going to have cinemas. But the days of a cinema being everywhere for everyone to watch the films is no longer. It'll be it's no longer. This strike right here, I'm calling it right now, and I will happily be wrong. This strike right here with COVID and the changing in people's consumption, how they consume movies, right? Because it used to be, if you didn't see a movie in theater, you didn't see that movie for like a year and a half before it came out on VHS. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> Bro, and so that's where we're approaching again because people would much rather sit on their couch. And so call a spade a spade. If you're going to blame superhero movies, point out everything else that this self-destructive Hollywood industry has done, right? The fact that they're trying to steal Im image and likeness from actors after one use is crazy. Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. You can't make, you can't make a career off that. They that's crazy. See how they, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. And do you got, when's this strike ending? No idea. <laughs> And that's the thing. You look at these corporations and they've made these choices, right? They made the push for streaming. They made the push for 45 days, win 45 day windows on movies. They made, they refused to make concessions to writers and actors. And may I say to, to crews, like the crews on a film set, they still, those people still don't, don't get paid much. And I don't think they're allowed to unionize. So 
they they're taking everything they can they're squeezing everything they can out of the film industry and then the people are wondering like why why is the film industry ending no you're right it's not superhero movies i think superhero movies and shows are definitely going downhill in my opinion right if now. the story is good yeah. people love them. the problem is is the people who make the stories don't fuck with the characters and then they have you know whatever uh, whatever the higher ups want you to put into their thing, whether whether it be this political thing or this political thing, right, right and left, whatever they want you to put in it, you put in it, and then it's no longer that thing anymore, and it's this this amalgamation of just corruption, and that's exactly what you see in Hollywood. I mean, we're we're gonna have to rewatch old shows to keep this podcast going because that strike is. I don't see the strike ending anytime soon as we said we will keep you guys updated on some rewatchables uh jason <laughs> what do you think of marvel's recent projects the writing on them cgi work uh audience reactions to some of these shows uh that we're looking at and how marvel plays into kind of uh whether or not you see it as a progression or regression of super, the superhero film industry Honestly, after listening to Jermaine, I think he really valid points, man. Honestly, I didn't really see it that way, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, I think they can still do well if they get the, again, if they get the right writing crew and if they make a really well story and take their time with it, man, instead of just trying to push everything out. Um, I think instead they could take a, time. Instead of a corporate machine? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, right? If something goes well and it's making you money, why not keep pushing more product out? And as a consumer, we, you know, we, we blindly just take, take advantage of it. Like I'm going to go, you know, um, shout out to Jermaine again for going to the movie theater every Thursday. I know, I know don't bother Jermaine on Thursday cause he has uh, the AMC pass and he has free ticket. Well, he pays a monthly fee and he's, he's there every Thursday. And I think that's awesome going to the movies. I think it's a wonderful experience and, to actually really think that we may lose that, it's um, it's kind of a bummer. It really is. Uh, I was thinking about it. I was like, whoa. Remember when we used to like, be so excited when a, a – it's completely different, but when a, a CD came out, you know, and yeah. it's fans coming out, like we used to go out to buy a CD, maybe get a vinyl for it. Now it's, it's just all streaming. It, it, it's crazy. Um, Same trajectory. Great. Yeah, go like that. And, and then now, like you said, like maybe consumers like like myself and you, we, we like getting collecting vinyls and that's like that's vintage. So cinema going to be vintage for us. Something to think about. So. Um, but yeah, no, Jermaine, great points. Great points, Luigi. Uh, definitely want to take some, some trailers. Uh, what do you, I, I got nothing for us, but uh, Luigi, you got you got a few stuff for us, right? All right. Jermaine, I know you're going to be excited about this one because uh, I know you're a, you're a gamer. They're coming out with another season of Castlevania. It's Castlevania Nocturne. Now, I don't know a whole lot about Castlevania, but I do know that it follows a family through different generations and different time periods. This one will focus on Victor Belmont. Uh, it looks fantastic. The animation is just as good as the original. Coming out September 28th. Uh, you got any information for us on Castlevania? I do not – not a huge Castlevania guy. The games were always fun, but it's not something that immediately grabbed me when I was a kid. You know, I was more of a, you know, like a Vector Man, Final Fantasy kind of guy rather than Castlevania. I know there's been 
many, many iterations of Castlevania. And that's the other thing. There's just been so many. I'm just, I'm like out at this point. Like, I love that the fans have their anime. I love they have their games. Everyone gets super jacked for it. That that gets me excited. I love seeing people passionate about their stuff. This is just, you know, I can only be the one nerd to rule them all for so many things. Like, <laughs> I, I, I cannot have every knowledge on everything. I know everyone expects me to, but no, nah, this is a severe gap. If you have not watched the anime, the the anime for the original on Netflix, right? Yes, highly recommend it. Just just as a show, it's one of the better shows that I've seen. Yeah, uh, I actually I actually want to I do want to watch that one, but right now I'm, I want to get into uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, uh, especially yeah, since yeah. especially since uh, teaser for Mute Mayhem. I'll point out a little. A little something that was in Mute and Mayhem oh. for that. So. Okay, sweet. Okay, okay. Yeah, they do talk anime in that one. Uh, uh, go ahead, Jason. Luigi, yeah. I, I don't know if we talked about this, but I want to bring it up. I, I I can't remember, so I just want to bring it up. Uh, that trailer for One Piece on Netflix came out, the live action. I don't know if you guys are One Piece fans. Never seen One Piece, but uh, I don't know if we talked about it, Luigi. We, yeah, we talked about it very briefly. Briefly, okay. Yeah, uh, I have talked to a few fans, and they say it's looking more and more accurate the more information they get from the cool. trailer. That's what I want to know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I've I've only seen like the first like twenty episodes of One Piece. Didn't didn't grab me as a kid, but that's just because I was a kid. You know. What I mean? Isn't there like, like fucking over a thousand episodes too? <laughs> oh yeah, it's been around. It's, so well, I was watching One Piece in like the nineties in early two oh, thousands. Yeah. You remember? They had uh, not Dragon Ball <laughs> XD. You remember Disney XD? Oh yeah. Like they had that One Piece was being shown on on that, I believe, or or was it Toonami? No, it wasn't. It was man. I think it was like on CW, but it it was like exactly. they had they had Muscle Man as well on that. They had Sonic as well on that. I remember Sonic? They had like all these like obsc- more obscure characters, and I was like, yo, this is sick. Uh, but I remember watching that, and I saw the trailer, and f- from what I remember from the show, I was like, holy crap. And the, the casting, the character designs, like the props, the sets, I was like, look, I may not watch One Piece, the anime, but I might give this show a shot. Right. Yeah. It, looks, yeah. it looks like a big production. And, and see, as we were talking about how we're worried about cinema, uh, you want to see these the kinds of things come out, even if it's on television. You want to see that the industry is still pumping out great things like that. So I, I'm probably going to check it out. I got a brother-in-law who's like 700 episodes in. <laughs> he's really dedicated right now, so I know he's excited about it too. Let, I let's just I hope can't the even finish good. Yeah, that's the key. The writing needs to be good. I can't even finish Shippuden. I'm in the middle of Shippuden, like. There's too many anime episodes, and there's so much filler in everything. Oh, yeah. They love those slice-of-life episodes where they do nothing. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I I wanted to give you guys another one that I think you guys are going to be interested in. Do you guys remember The Warriors? Uh, Jermaine, do you remember the the film The Warriors? I think it's 70s. Yeah, 70s. Warriors. Warriors. Yes, dude. I fucking – that's like a movie that – just reminds me of my pops one of those movies that you just watch with your dad terminator 2 the warriors um fallen by uh yeah yeah there's a lot there's a lot of movies that remind me of my dad and that's that era fucking love the warriors so 
Lynn Manuel Miranda is adapting Saul Urich's 1965 novel, right? And the thriller that we've seen, uh, The Warriors, into a musical, which makes sense to me. That looks really easy to turn into a musical. Uh, it's very much, I mean, if you don't know what The Warriors is, it paints a picture of the, a city overtaken by crime, which during that time period, very much so, that was New York. New York was very much overtaken by crime. And uh, the story centers around all these little gangs throughout the city that this group has to encounter trying to make it back home to Coney Island. Uh, I'd love to see an extension of this world. I really, I'm still holding out for a show that could, that could kind of bring out more of that, uh, the warrior's world. So definitely excited about that. Lin Manuel Miranda's working on it too. Mi gente, you know what's up. Jermaine, you know what's up. <laughs> He's gotten kind of annoying lately, but I do like him. Dude, I, I don't know, man. I don't know how I feel about this because, like, I like I, as much as I love the Warrior, and it's like a classic gangster film. Like, not gangster, but uh, it's more action packed than anything. And the last thing I want to see is a stage musical of the Warriors, and it kind of just. I don't want to see them like dancing, like you know, like I'm. I'm starting to think about Bad Michael Jackson, Bad you Rocky know? Horror Picture Show. Yeah, Rocky Horror, Horror Picture Show. Show. Like, um, uh, what's the movie that we that came out that Steven Spielberg directed? West uh, Side Story. West Side Story. You know how they fight, but they're like dancing. Like, I don't know if I want to see that for the Warriors, man. I'm gonna get that. Uh, that's <laughs> what. I hate to break it for. <laughs> I know, like that's what I'm seeing. I'm like, no, it's gonna ruin it for me, babe. And then they're gonna start rapping out of nowhere because you know, Lim and Noel lost lost of fucking rap. So I won't hate that. <laughs> you won't hate that. <laughs> here's, here's what we were just talking about, right? Like instead of writing something new. They're taking old IP and just recycling. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, it's, and here's the, the problem is don't pick up IP if you aren't going to make it better. And, well, and if you're not a fan either, like – like films. This isn't going to theaters. It's only going to Broadway. So I don't know exactly what he's going to do with it. I don't – like is there a big like Broadway musical group that has a clamoring for the Warriors? Is there like a niche? I'm not like – I think it's just – I just picture this. That, like if you if you watch Broadway shows, like there's just a lot of those – oh. that That's what I picture happening. And that's going to completely ruin it for me, dude. <laughs> I, I, I think there's get this kind of content cool. if you're watching this on YouTube, guys. And yeah, Tom, just did a dance for us. <laughs> Uh, I think there's a lot of Broadway shows that could fit into this kind of category uh, more and more, actually. So I, I don't know. They just kind of they mess around with anything on, on Broadway. But yes, it is going to be that, Jason. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Last thing I wanted to mention, X-Men 97 poster. Magneto has a new design. Have you guys seen this? No. Do you have it? Can you share it? Uh, photos look good. I'd have to look it back up. So give me a second. All right. Yeah, I mean, don't worry about it if that's the case. Oh, okay. I'm trying to stay away from everything X Men '97. Oh uh, yeah, it's just a poster. It's I don't. No information for me. None. I don't. <laughs> I'm like, leave it alone. I'll watch it when it comes out. I don't want any spoilers. I don't want to know. This like, pod might be the worst for you then. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I definitely always fast forward X Men '97 stuff. Like oh, I don't okay. like. I don't watch trailers anymore. I feel like they've gotten. 
you know, so aggressive at giving everything away that I don't watch it. And if you've seen enough like films and understand how people write archetypes, flow, stuff like that, you know what'll happen. You can pick stuff up that you don't want to know. So I try to watch one and then I keep it pushing. Yeah, I'll say that trailers have always been that terrible. That's that's been my argument in our chats. Like they've always been like that. The only difference is no. now it's easy to avoid. Bro, you watch some old trailers, go to go to Voodoo and watch old trailers and they practically play the movie. Play nah. the entirety of the film and you're like, what is happening right now? It, that movie. didn't start happening until we were in high school. No, go check them out. Go check them out. I'm telling I, you, bro. I'm, I'm telling you. Myself in my collection from the 80s, the 70s, the 90s, where you look at the preview and you're like, they're playing out the entire movie here. What is I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's not that bad as it is now. It's not. Like, they show you everyone in movies now, including people that aren't billed or cast or anything like that. So anything that could be of any surprise is in the trailers now. That's true. They didn't have uh, back then. They didn't have as many like gimmicky things like that, right? Where there were surprise characters, and, and there were all these things that were like exciting that were going to happen. No, it, that, it as shock. There wasn't as much shock and awe as you see they, now. So it plays a bigger role in that sense to me. They would release one trailer for most of these movies. Now you get five, six, seven for these these releases coming out now. I'm telling you, since since like since like Christian Bale's Batman, there's a format. You get the teaser, you get the second nope. trailer, and you get the final trailer. There's there's, there's a clear format. Not anymore. There's there's like four or five trailers that come out for all huge blockbuster movies now, like five different iterations. You can go in and on YouTube. And it's like Guardians of the Galaxy, trailer one, trailer two, trailer... And then they also have the teaser trailer, which is no longer a teaser. It's the teaser trailer is a full-fledged trailer now, which is no longer a teaser. It is out of hand, bro. And, and if you're talking about Marvel, you also get the end credit scene. But sure, Jason? Yeah, if you're talking about Marvel, you also get the end credit scene of another movie, which is technically a teaser. Plus you get two teaser trailers... Yeah, I don't know. Their stingers can be can be a lot of fun, and other times you're like, mm, you could probably save this. <laughs> didn't need to see that, bro. I want to see on this. We did was a civil war where you don't really know what's happening in the scene. I liked that one. That one, I was like, okay, I, I could deal with this stinger because I'm very much asking questions more so than wondering, did they just ruin the movie for me? <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Now it's like, it used to be, it was like in a world. And most of the trailers was like, words would pop up in the middle of like screens and stuff. It'd be like a dude's voice over. You're not even hearing lines on certain scenes. Like that. that's how ridiculous trailers were back in the day. That's why trailers were always awesome. Because it was nonsense. It was like some dude, his voice words were always in the trailer it was like graphics there's never actually any scenes in these trailers like and then you watch the movie you're thinking it's an action it's a love movie <laughs> and now here here's my last pushback guys if you watch any 70s trailer they will tell you the story of that movie in the trailer and you're like you gave me too much nobody grew up That's watching 70s trailers luigi <laughs> 
you're talking about the history of cinema in their trailers. Like they got better from the 70s to 80s and 90s. They hit a sweet spot, and then they start giving everything away again. I agree. I agree. Pretty decent. When I grew up, the trailers did not give me nothing until I was about to be in high school. And that's what I grew up with. I didn't grow up in the 70s. Who, what 70s trailers are you watching, Luigi? Just put the movie on. <laughs> you yeah. don't you, I'm very picky with my older films. So I watch the trailer first. Am I going to enjoy this? I don't know. I wish you were picky with your current films. Anyways, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's keep it moving. <laughs> wow. All right. TV uh, land. Moving into TV land. Jason, you have a few things you watched. Uh, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you hit this one real quick. Yeah, sweet. So I just want to give it just an update. I finally finished watching Ted Lasso, all three seasons, and uh, I'm I'm kind of sad it's over, dude. It was a, it was a feel good show. I I, I loved it. Uh, I, I know I talked about it in, in my in our in previous episodes. So I just want to kind of because I was midway through season three, so I'm kind of a little upset that Ted Lasso and Rebecca didn't end up together. A little upset. I felt like they were better as friends. I don't know. Yeah, no, they're they're definitely better as friends, but they they knew it because they teased us in one of those episodes. They, they he wakes up and like he's like, oh, did they what? You know, but turns out it it wasn't that case. Um, I love the whole diamond dog aspect. Uh, diamond dog, <laughs> love that shit. Uh, I like uh Nathan's redemption. You know, we hate him, and then uh, he gets a redemption. He finds. I, I don't know. I feel like they all had their own like story of growth, uh, which with, within each character, and I feel like they took their time with every character. Yes, some of these like uh, stories were kind of like silly and like it's more comedic, and they paid a lot of homage to a lot of pop culture references. Some that Jamie understood that I didn't even know about because uh, of her shows that she's watched, and some of the sports stuff that I watched that she she didn't even know about. Like um, I know I talked about this already, but uh, we talk about practice right with uh, mm-hmm. AI. I thought that was cool. That was a great one. Yeah, she did not get that joke. I had to stop. I had to press pause and then show her a TikTok <laughs> of AI uh, in that press conference. Uh, so uh, you know, just things like that. It was just, it was overall, it was fun. I I, I love Ted Lasso. I kind of wish it would have gone another season, but I think they ended it how it should have. You know, it did end the way it should, but it leaves you wanting a lot more. That's for De- sure. definitely. I will say that. I very much enjoyed. It. I think the first I. I still think the first two seasons are better, but I still enjoyed watching the third season. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. still worth the watch. It still gave you the the feel good, almost like sitcom-y uh, television show feeling to, that you get. From. Yeah, man, it, it was great. Uh, season one was definitely probably my favorite. I'll, I'll, I will agree with that. Um, although sticking through it and then just like falling in love with Jamie Tart afterwards was was awesome to see. And, um, yeah, series finale. Um, yeah, everyone gets back to pretty much everyone is, is like positive with 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 the ending. Uh, you you see called Jamie, it. You called it. What? Ted Lasso. Uh, Ted Lasso going back home uh, mm-hmm. to be with his son. I mean, it's it's only right. His son misses him. Uh, Jamie Tart actually building a relationship back up with his dad at the end. Uh, his dad, you see that he checks himself into rehab. Uh, so that's really cool. Uh, Rebecca finding true love uh, at the end. Um, seeing that guy, that that Dutch guy. I forgot what Kelia. I forgot what happens with her. And then um, Roy Kent 
too, like just the growth with him, uh, just growth within every character. Everyone has a, had a, had a great closure. So I love that. There was like no like loose ends that we're like wondering about, like well, what happened. They they tied yeah. all of them up for us. So they they that. even tell you what happens with Beard, right? He stays. He's he loves Britain. He loves his girl. Gets um, married. Yeah. Gets married. That's right. Uh, tell us a little bit. We're going to move forward since we've talked a little bit of Ted Lasso before. Tell us a little bit about Licorice Pizza. We wanted to cover that uh, when we first started the pod. We just never got to it. So what did you – I know you saw it. So what did you think of it? Because I still have not seen that. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. So Licorice Pizza, the film came out in 2021. It was a nominated for Best Picture Academy Award winner, uh, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, known for directing um, There Will Be Blood and Boogie Nights, one of their main movies. I know you guys know those movies. So uh, there's some other lists, but I – I don't think I've seen any of those, so that's why I didn't mention them. Uh, so it had and, and the and the cast: it's not, uh, Bradley Cooper, Sean Penn, Maya Rudolph, John C. Riley, uh, the band uh, Heim um, were all in it. The whole band. Uh, Alana was the, one of the, the one of the love interests. Um, you had Benny uh, Sat uh, Safdi. Uh, he was an Oppenheimer. He was the uh, the physician uh, the the scientist working on the H bomb. So he was in it. And you got Coop Hoffman. He was the the the, the male love interest. Um, I can see why I got nominated uh, for for best film and stuff like that. I, I just don't know, man. It just didn't catch my attention. I think the acting was good. Um, I think um, the cinematography was pretty good, but I just the plot and the characters they just I didn't care for them. And then the whole time I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, well, where's the plot going? Where, like, I just didn't really move. There was just different sequences. Like yeah, you're just like, what, what's going on? And then there was, there was times where uh, Jamie and I both caught this. They were just running randomly. Like, I, I don't know. They were just like running, like, and, and, you know, and like running towards each other, running away from each other. I don't know what, like, I don't know where they were going with this. Like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, be like, Thomas and like trying to figure out like uh, where's the synamic uh, like there's like um, what's the, the word yeah where's the symbolism and stuff like that and I just just couldn't find any uh, Bradley Cooper was dope but like was was his character and that scene like necessary no I, I don't <laughs> think it was like uh, the one with Sean Penn uh, yeah I, I I can agree because Alana was using him to make uh, the other love interest jealous uh, but it was just. I mean, so, all these actors came out in this movie. That's interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. And again, acting performance was was great. Cinematography wasn't bad. Like you kind of like, I can see where you know the shots and stuff like that. I was like, okay, I like this. But like, did I like the movie? I, overall, man, I'd probably give it like a four point eight, dude. Like it just wasn't for me. No, I don't recommend anyone watching this film. Fair enough. I can't add anything to it. I just know it was a coming of age story. That's all I knew about it. Um, and I knew that I think the drummer from Heim is in it. That's about as far as that went for me. So good to know. 4.8, you said? Yeah, dude. I just, I, I'm still trying to figure out if I liked it or not, if I'm being completely honest. I saw it yesterday and I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I guess I'll just throw one thing that I did watch recently before we go into Twisted Metal. Uh, I did finally watch uh, the critically acclaimed anime Your Name. It's got like super high ratings with critics and audiences. I think it came out last year or the year before. 
this is a love story. It has some sci-fi elements. I don't want to go too much into it. Uh, it has a lot of emotional depth. And as I mentioned, it's like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was interesting. The story does, in fact, go somewhere. You see why you're watching the movie very quickly, and you see how, it, how the pieces that don't make sense within the film easily fit together once you see the full picture. Uh, highly recommend it. Once again, Your Name. It is a, I guess this would be like a prestige anime film. Uh, made pretty good money in Japan. Those don't release, they don't release theatrically. And if they do here anyway, in, in other countries, they release theatrically. But here, uh, anime still hasn't hit hit cinema uh, or theaters the way that it has in other parts of the world yet. But I definitely recommend watching it. Um, and if you've got a significant other that is okay with anime, they will definitely enjoy watching it with you. Luigi, um, I'm glad you said that. Like how you said it just ties in. Licorice Pizza did not do that. And I forgot one more key point that really kind of just just was uneasy for me. Uh, the the love interest, the boy, was 15 years old and the girl was 25. And I was just like, what? Like it's just and it was based in 1970. I don't know. It just really right away just kind of not a good off. Yeah, not yeah. great. Not great. Um, but okay. So before uh, before we get into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I do want to talk Twisted Metal. Jason, you and I have both finished this show. Jermaine uh, is going to sit out on this one. He's still he's still catching up on Twisted Metal, so he's going to sit out on this one, guys. But we're we're going to go we're going to go into Twisted Metal and all the things that we enjoyed about it, some interesting things that we found out about it. I do want to ask Jermaine before we get uh, we start rounding off. Jermaine, did you play Twisted Metal growing up? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. All right. Because I'm going to say some points that I really loved about it. I was just like super excited. So I thought it was okay. Sweet. Yeah. Please give the video game aspect because I actually never got to play that game. I always heard good things about it. So yeah. Yeah. I definitely want you to bring that in. So let, let's get into it. We, we start the show with John Doe played by Anthony Mackie, who is just, he brings as much charisma to his character as he possibly can in every scene. Uh, I thought Quiet, which is played by Stephanie Beatriz, did an amazing job. She's such an asshole through the whole thing. Uh, Agent Stone is an interesting portrayal of a man. Uh, a Gosh, what, what would be the word? Uh, lust for power. He's got a lust for power, but he's also internally a very weak man. Weak man. He's not truly strong the way he portrays himself, which is why he he's so obsessed with having power, because he feels uh, inadequate. You can see it throughout the show. Sweet Tooth, I hear That's that funny. in the way the game shows, an unhinged psychopath like who you cannot take your eyes off of, and he's got some great one-liners. Uh, so that was that was a lot of fun. The preacher. Was a lot of was a lot of fun to watch. I thought all the characters were really interesting to see. Uh, I I agree, man. Um, I, I I will say uh, if I'm I'm going to give like some critiques at at, at some of these parts, uh, a little cheesy at times, which is okay. Uh, for, for, what, for what the show is, it's cool. Yeah, and uh, yes, the girl's name is Quiet, played by Beatrice. I thought she'd be quiet. A few more episodes like you, it kind of feels like she just started talking like super fast like she was supposed to be a mute and not talk at all and then she just 
just started talking a lot more. I don't know. It just. I think episode uh, four, right? Episode it, it felt too fast, I, I would say. So, but I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, oh, go ahead. I didn't necessarily run into that, but that's an interesting point. Yeah. To, yeah. Just to me, like, if you're going to name a person quiet, like, I feel like maybe we're not going to hear her talk. Like, I, I didn't feel that, like, um, that point where it's like, oh, shoot, she spoke. It was more like, oh, that was quick. She spoke. You know, like, and I get it. They were about to kill off um, John. But, like, at that point, we didn't know if she even cared for him at all. I think it should have been more at a point where they were building a relationship, him talking to her, and, like, she's starting to get comfortable with him. So, like, at a very point where, like, he definitely was about to get killed off in later episodes, I think it would have been more impactful if she were then to speak. That's just me, though. Um I guess that's like my only critique about it, about this show, but I, I really enjoyed it. I think Sweet Tooth was the best part uh, of this series. Will Arnett did amazing um, as the voice actor. It was played by another actor, obviously, because Will Arnett can't get that buff. Well, Joe did some pretty good like uh, body movements to align with what Will Arnett said. Yeah, um, like it makes you wonder if they like got together and like worked it out or did he, yeah, like prior to like the filming, like Will Arnett, like, Hey, this is how I'm going to approach Sweet Tooth, you know? Um, uh, but yes, uh, 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 JC, uh, Quiet is not a character. Um, it was just kind of a, a, a one-off, but uh, they, they, br- they did bring in a lot of characters like the granny, the preacher, um, Agent Stone, um, John Doe is obviously another main character. Uh, they, br- they bring in Raven, they bring in Dollface. Uh, at there's the end, a- right at the end. Yeah, at the very end, which is crazy. Um, and my favorite part was that they teased a lot of different other, uh, playable characters like Axel, the guy that drives probably my least favorite character to, 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 to drive with. He was the one that like had the two big ass wheels and was tied up to it like that. I I think this thing was Axel or Marcus Kane or some shit like that. Um, they tease a lot of the, the one that rides the, the, the motorcycle. I forgot what his name was. Red Skull? With the Red Skull, yeah, they 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 teased cool. him. I was like, "Oh, who's that guy?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they, they te- and uh, that that tournament type of style uh, with Calypso. They 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 tease Calypso. We see him for like a split second, uh, voice actor, but he's the one that is gonna. He at the very end, we find out that there's gonna be a tournament. Um, so it, it's kind of leaning towards. Remember, Luigi, I told you I wanted it to be. Uh, Twisted Metal Black, and it looks like they're leaning towards Twisted Metal Black. Um, so I'm very excited. That was probably my favorite storyline in the games. Uh, Louis, uh, JC, they didn't tease Mr. Grimm, at least from what I saw, but they teased a lot of characters. And my favorite part was in the very final episode, they teased like the video game where there was like a bunch of cars fighting with each other because that's what the whole video game was about, right? It wasn't just a one. I mean, there was some one-on-ones. But in this one, like you get to see everyone fighting with each other, you see explosions. Ah, oh, awesome, dude! Awesome. Yeah, that that final fight scene was fantastic. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I wanted to go over some of the culture of the the show. So obviously, I think they did this on purpose because they wanted to keep it during the time period where Twisted Metal was like at its height. But all you hear throughout the show is like late 90s, well, mid to late 90s and early 2000s music, uh, clothing styles, everything before the world went to shit and it ended in 2002. That, that was when everything stopped, 2002. 
So that was uh, that was pretty interesting to watch. Just total off the wall mayhem in every episode. Lots of comedy. This is not a. This is not Last of Us. You know what I mean? It's not that kind of prestige TV. It's just fun. And I enjoyed it. I mean, not everything has to be Last of Us, right? Not everything has to be like, I have to sit down and watch every second of this so I don't miss a part of the story. Like, it's it's a show that you want to put on to have a good time and unwind. And it's a very good example of that. Uh, Jason, did you, uh, did you catch why the world was destroyed? Uh, nuclear holocaust, right? Uh, the um, AI started taking over or some shit, right? Yeah, an electromagnetic pulse destroyed all yeah, technology, yeah. too. Uh, I'm guessing it was AI that may have triggered it, but yes, nuclear a nuclear plant explodes as well, so they have these Watkins storms because the Watkins power plant in Missouri explodes. So you have these crazy um, violent storms where electricity just hits almost everywhere, and that's fun to watch in one of the episodes. Uh, the world building they did in Jason, in this Jason, what did you think of that? Like milkmen, walled cities, the crazy cars. Is this in the video games or they just like built a world around what they had in the games? Uh, yeah, I can't remember about like milkmen and just like different cities, like closing themselves off where the rich were, you know, still living on themselves while the poor, uh, not the poor, but like just left for dead, just like out trying to live in this apocalyptic world. So I like the way that how they built that that world. Uh, very interesting. Like, why do we need these cars with weapons in the first place? Now you know. Like, hey, you need delivery guys to do this. And uh, people, you know, in an apocalyptic world, some people are dark and then their dark side shows. Uh, so the fact that they're going to have this tournament at the end where you have the best drivers and not just delivering to do care packages and uh currency is very different it's just very interesting uh, i like how they did that uh and uh just gave a more um depth of these characters these playable characters that we've had uh growing up in twisted in, in the twisted metal games like yeah you know these characters and i think that's why i like twisted metal black because you got some backstory to these characters um but i think this show just kind of gives it a little bit more depth into these characters a little bit more on the comedic side versus twisted metal black was a little bit more on the dark side but uh still keeping true to the characters and them trying to figure out who they are and in the in twisted metal black they say hey if you win this tournament you get whatever you want whatever whatever your biggest desire is and i thought that was pretty cool at the end that they told us there's this tournament that calypso is creating that if you win, you get your ever most wish desire. So I was like, oh shit, teasing Twisted Metal Black. So excited. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, again, I don't know a whole lot about Twisted Metal Black, but uh, could you could you tell our audience a little bit about what we know about the Walled Cities? Yeah, again, it shows how dark people can can be. Um, although it looks like nice and bright on the inside uh, of these hidden cities and walls, San Francisco. Orange County. Turns out it's not so great on the inside unless you have the power. Um, we find out uh, Quiet's uh, uh, storyline. She she pretty much begged her brother, like, hey, we um, they, we see it's an apocalyptic world. They were growing up in the avocado fields. Like, hey, if we, we have a contract with the OC City, is if we work for four years, grind it out, pretty much work like slaves, we'll be able to live in within that those inner walls and uh be free and have a beach house turns out that 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 wasn't the case they just pretty much became slaves and if you weren't a white person or you know they just treated hispanics and whoever they had uh 
treat them into slaves. And it turns out, like, if you disagreed with those, uh, your master, they would chop off your ear, cut off your finger, and use it as jewelry. That's so, pretty disgusting. So You know, that um, that's taken from uh, things that they used to do historically. God, I can't remember which... I don't think it was the South, but I know there was there were societies in which, like, if you had slaves uh, and you took pieces of them and had them, like, it was a sign of your of your wealth, like to show I have this many slaves. And in general, that was true in the South, but they would take body parts. Like, God, I'll have to get back to you on which culture that was, but that's uh, that's something that actually happened. And I found it interesting they just throw that in the trails. Like, dang, that's intense. People just walking around with fingers on their necklace and then just like ears. Yeah, it was. It, the show gets wild. It gets. It is not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to some of the music, Jason. Like you get to hear tons and tons of '90s and 2000s music. Like if I'm not mistaken, they had that. Do you think you're better off alone? That song reminds me of my childhood. Because I'm a millennial. So I was like, oh my God, they played Portishead. They played Hanson. They played so many different. And uh, Party Hard by Andrew WK during uh, the Milkman fight scene with Bloody Mary. I was like, man, I'm going back in time right now. This, this is amazing. Dude, my favorite part was Cisco, uh, the thong song. I know we talked about it. She got <laughs> Guys like what, what? And it was just the the intro to Sweet Tooth was dope. Uh, speaking of Sweet Tooth, you remember how when I spoke about like when we saw the first two episodes, I was kind of upset that Sweet Tooth didn't have the flaming hair. But I was like, but how are you gonna make that realistic? Uh, in the last fight scene, he's like, I'm gonna be like, all right, it's an all out brawl. Fucking puts a kerosene on his head, tells Stu to light it up for him, and he, you get that iconic Sweet Tooth flaming hair. Uh, just shows how psychotic he really is. Uh, oh. When you go to Blackfield Asylum and you see his dead parents in a cell, I was like, oh, shit. Well, not only that, you get his backstory when he was a kid before the world turned to shit. And uh, he was a young actor and he was jealous of another actor, which we thought was another little boy. He's like, he's getting all my scenes. Turns out it was a dog that was his uh, co-actor. And uh doesn't end well for the dog because he gets doesn't end well for the dog. Line, line, you're all, oh shit. Uh, <laughs> man, and as they're yeah, and as they're recording the show, he just goes and they don't show him killing the dog, but you you get you get you the blood splatter and stuff. And it was like this guy, he's been insane since he was a kid. So oh man. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into the weeds of the story, but we'll quick to quickly run through. Sweet Tooth gets bored of giving uh, giving his performances in Vegas, so he starts going traveling around, and he starts taking out all of these lawmen outposts, which is driving Agent Stone crazy, which leads to like him actually being in the final fight scene, which I I really enjoyed because I was like they introduced this character, he's got to be in that final fight scene. Sure How enough. they tied it in, yeah, yeah. Um, what uh, what do you think is going to happen with that tournament? Uh, you said it leads to Twisted Metal Black. What? Tell me more. What does this mean? Um, so in Twisted Metal Black, it really depends because you can play any character. And if you play their character, it follows their storyline and you learn a lot more about that character. So yeah. why I really like Twisted Metal Black is because 
All right. You play a character and you want to know their storyline. You have to play as that character. So you want to beat the game with every character. <laughs> um, so, so you can get all their, their and how it turns out for them. So there's multiple ways this show can end. Uh, if in favor of John Doe, maybe in favor of Sweet Tooth, maybe you don't know. It just really depends uh, on who wins the tournament. So, yeah. And now that John Doe realized San Francisco is not what he thought it's going to be, he's definitely <laughs> going to be uh, going to be wanting to just get out of this tournament. Uh, which is which is funny because honestly, when I was playing Tusa Metal Black, John Doe was my least favorite uh, player to play with. I mean, it even as the show progressed, you're like they did a lot with this character but i can mm -hmm. imagine in a 90s two thousand early 2000s video game this was probably like the basic character that you start with yeah yeah <laughs> uh, mr grim was probably one of my favorites um i like sweet tooth a lot but like i didn't like really playing as sweet tooth i don't know like his attributes were just not my favorite uh, i think mr grim was was fast and agile so i liked using him a lot um so yeah, it's just, it's just very interesting, like the types of vehicles that they use, because you're just like, whoa, that's one of the vehicles. Um, there, remember that uh, pink um, car? Uh, what is it called? Uh, the ones that carry uh, coffins. Hearse. Hearse. Yeah, the, the, there's a in one of the games. There's a pink hearse, so it, it's kind of cool that they they showed that that pink hearse in the game in the in the show too. So like, you just see a lot of cars, like, oh shit, I remember that. So. Uh, it, it was cool, man. All, all in all, I feel like they did a lot of good, just like little teases. There could have been a lot more, uh, like Jermaine was saying. They did not tease a lot of stuff, but I'm hoping maybe in the next season. I hope they do an another season because I was pretty invested right after right after the last one. I was like, I don't know if I'll watch it again, but then they, they kind of brought everything together. So I was like, okay, yeah, they, they got me. I'll, I'll watch season two now. So I'm, I'll go as far as to say I'll rewatch season one. Uh, Gabby has not watched it, and I'm more than willing to watch it again. I'm like, this was fun. Like, like again, it was just fun. Yeah. Did I have fun watching it? Yes, I had fun watching it. I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for something that's gonna captivate us, and it definitely did. Uh, again, if you're if you're someone who's only into prestige television vision, no, this is not for you. But <laughs> you enjoy Tom. watching. <laughs> yeah, uh, friend of the pod, Tom. But for those of you who just enjoy watching, you know, things that will entertain you, something that you can put on, even while you are doing other activities, it will be that kind of show. Um, I really think uh, Jamie would have enjoyed it, but she's, I showed her the trailer and then she saw Sweet Tooth. Not a fan of clowns. She hates horror. So she's like, that's going to give me nightmares. I'm out. And I honestly think she would have enjoyed it if, if it wasn't for that. Um, 7.8 for me, honestly. Maybe 7.9. Yeah. Yeah, it was enjoyable because I knew what this was. You know, I'm not. I wasn't expecting it to be like, oh, this is a great show. It was just like, I knew what it was going into. Y'all rate high though. Uh, yeah, y'all really do be rating real, real high though. Some of these, yeah. You mean, <laughs> hey, it's be, based off my entertainment. What, how I felt about it. Y'all be I, throwing yeah. out, y'all be throwing out nines way too often. I'm always like, I nine. Thrown, I haven't thrown out a nine. Um, not not many. Two nines. No, three nines. Three nines. Yeah, I'm just and saying. I don't any of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, 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 good for you calling us out, JC. Sometimes it does change. I want to like look back and I was like, all right, I, I need to get an Excel spreadsheet to how we score these things. <laughs> yeah, what we, you should do is initial. Rubric. What you can do. Sorry, I didn't hear you, Luigi. What was that? 
We're going to be working on a rubric. It's still in the works. Oh, okay. Yeah. You do initial, second, and then final. I like average, average to three, and then that's your actual score. But yeah. uh, seven, eight for Twisted Metal. Yeah. For, uh, for I'm here for it. I love Twisted Metal. No, I, look, dude. I, look, everything you've said, I've literally texted my roommate. Uh, bro, we got to watch Twisted Metal. It's pulling from my favorite game, like – you know, you teased a bunch of the characters that I was curious, like who was in it. So, like Crazy Eight, Junkyard Dog, Warthog, Roadkill. You know, those are all. Bro, I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. And now that I know there's a second season and Calypso's in it, and they're actually going to do right with the with the strike and everything, probably won't be a second season. But, uh, bro, because it's like Mortal Kombat but Demolition Derby. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I would, I would probably give it a seven point five. Uh, I rewatchable. It's rewatchable. I I think that's what get, that's what gave it above a seven for me. Because overall, if you just watch the show, um, the story, all of that, I'd probably give it around a six. But the right. actors do a really good job, and its rewatchability are what gave me this. Made me push it to a seven point five. Like, I would recommend to a lot of people. The only thing is, if you're squeamish, don't watch this show. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what uh, you want in a Twisted Metal uh, uh, show. I would assume so. Uh, last thing I wanted to say, in the final fight scene, Jermaine, you may not want to hear this, but in the final fight scene, we see that it looks like Sweet Tooth may be killed. But if you're someone who watches a lot of television, you know that he didn't die. And sure enough, they give you a sweet tooth stinger at the end. And uh, I was very happy to see he's going to be coming back with a vengeance in the second season. You know what's funny? Um, I knew it was coming, too. I knew he was going to pop up. Mm -hmm. And it still it got me that that jump stick. That jump scare got me. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it worked. It worked. Um but without and without further ado, let's jump into uh, what what our main topic is for the day. We're gonna go into uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. Now, Jason, I know you haven't watched it, so Jason's gonna sit out of uh, this one for us. But Boo! You got a podcast to run. Boo! <laughs> uh, Sorry, man. I had family come over, dude, and it was just. Should have taken your nephews, Doc. Uh, they saw it. <laughs> it came out on Monday. No excuses. <laughs> yeah, we're, me and Jermaine are going to riff on this one a little bit. So let's let's jump into it. Jermaine, what did you think of the movie? Oh, dude, fantastic. And it's one of those movies, uh, like you guys like to throw around now, rewatchables all the time. It's one of those movies that's going to change and get better with every time you watch it. Because... There's so many like hidden like one-liners or just like hidden nostalgic nods to some of like the 80s stuff that they introduce, and then they blend that with some of the 2000s, you know, not 2000s, but like more of the recent stuff as well. So uh, it's gonna be fun. Like if you like Easter egg hunting, this movie, I mean, good That's lord. I heard. I heard. I mean, listen, I've seen a good amount of Ninja Turtles. But from what I'm hearing, there's tons and tons of Easter eggs. And Jermaine, I know you know this, but for the audience, there are two characters that come out in, in it pretty immediately, Bebop and Rocksteady. 
Uh, fun fact about Bebop and Rocksteady, they actually first did not premiere in the comics. So Ninja Turtles started out as a black and white comic that was very violent, very gritty. They did not come out in this comic at all. They premiered in the first episode of the 1987 show that we 90s kids came to know and love. Uh, and they were just recurring villains that came out uh, throughout the show. It was cool to see them in it again. Uh, I loved I loved watching them uh, come out in it. I, I'm glad that they're going to be a part of this new story. Yeah, they were actually developed, much like Harley Quinn, for the television show. And then, you know, brought back in specifically for the comics, right? By Peter Laird and... Uh, I don't know if that was Kevin Eastman at the time. Might have been, might have been David David Weiss who created them. I'd have to look that up. But uh, yeah, so Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, those are like the OGs created the you know the original all red bandanas for all of them, white eyes, right? That was the original like iteration of the Ninja Turtles, and uh, yeah, and. Rocksteady and Bebop are some of my brother and I's absolute favorites. So he's the Rocksteady guy. I'm the Bebop because of the cool glasses. <laughs> so John Cena is Rocksteady, man. I loved all his lines. I was like, I want to hear more from you. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing, you know, I will say immediately is that I love that they try to get as much in as possible and then they change the overall arc, arching of the story. But, you know, I felt like they tried to bring in too many, like too many characters. They tried to bring in too many characters, uh, but they did like have enough beats to spotlight the characters. And then if there's more to come out of it, it should be better. But that was like maybe my one big complaint and that and they absolutely ruined Ray Filet. Ray Filet. <laughs> it was just like he was he's. He's like a surfer dude in in everything that I remember from him. And he was awesome. And he was kind of douchey and arrogant. <laughs> and instead, he just sang his name every single time. And I'm like, uh, okay. I was, see, I don't know much about Ray Filet. So watching him in this, I was like, this guy's funny. All he does is say his name. <laughs> That's and it. That Post Malone coming out and just saying was so, getting Post Malone got, Ray <laughs> Yeah, he was Ray Filet. Oh, yeah. And he got told to shut up every single time. And I was just like I, I was like, I, I understand that you have a ton of characters, so some of them are gonna get marginalized. I was a little disappointed because I was a fan of that one as a kid. I'm sure a lot of people loved him. Uh but man. I, I'll tell you what, so fr from the outset, right, like the beginning of it, like just overarching first thoughts, it was like the art was very much like an artist's sketchbook, right? And it felt very kind of reminiscent of some of that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle style you see in the comics where it's not always the sharpest edges. It's like, I mean, if you were submitting for like a doctorate, I'm sure that art teacher would get pompous with you and, and hate on it. But but the art lent itself to a more gritty. And that's what the turtles are, right? They're sewer. They're like street level fighters. Like it's all kung fu. And there's not like superpowers or anything like that. So I thought the art really good. How'd you feel about all those changes? Because there's a lot. I mean, Splinter's backstory 
totally changes. He is no longer Hamato Yoshi or even trained by Hamato Yoshi, right? Uh, right. So, yeah, I, I will say that it doesn't take away from it because we've seen that story, right? Like, I don't want to see Batman's parents get killed every single Batman movie. What like, you don't I don't boss? <laughs> so like you know what I mean I don't need that I've already seen that I've already read that you know how many iterations of like you know straight up badass ninja splinter we've had like so I don't really need that I, I kind of enjoyed it I think it was kind of what it needed for a revamp with for today's generation right similar to what they did in the 2020 2012 2017 series that came out on Nickelodeon, right? They they introduced it to a new generation, made them fans, and then all the merch came back and all the toys and all that other stuff. Like, so I think they did the same thing, and I think it fits it fits organically into what Ninja Turtles is in spirit, which is what I talked about writing writing good scripts, right? But they changed it; they had fun, right? Like. April is usually a badass, and now she's like this anxiety-ridden chick, which goes to our initial conversation at the beginning, right? Uh, so she gets stage fright. Uh, so that that felt organic, and it was hysterical, first of all. And speaking of Nickelodeon, it looked very reminiscent of Nickelodeon slime, yeah. right? So And it just kept going. And so that was cool. I felt it was organic. I was a little disappointed because I thought we were going to get a dope, like, uh, strong female protagonist. And I, I don't feel like we quite got that, but there's more to come. She can always evolve. And I think her her arc was good, but she wasn't the badass April O'Neil that I always know about. Well, that's like, uh, that's one thing Seth Rogen kind of wanted to wanted to stray away from with both her and the turtles. It sounded he wanted them to feel like teenagers. Like they wanted it to feel like it was their it was their first outing. Right, because he said all the iterations he had seen, it made them, they're supposed to be teenagers, but they look like, I mean, we know they're turtles, but their bodies are like full-grown men, and then their voices are full-grown men. And I think that was that was the big push. They were wanting the turtles to feel more inexperienced, and I think they, they used that with April O'Neil as well, because you could see, like, she's got the makings of old-school April O'Neil, uh, who can kick some ass, and is an amazing reporter, but she hasn't she hasn't really proven herself in any way, shape, or form yet. Yeah, my thing is, is like the Ninja Turtles are teenagers. April O'Neil was never was never, was never a teenager. So like that's why I was like, yo, we're gonna get April O'Neil. She's a human. She fits organically into that world. She's confident. She brings the turtles along, right? Yeah. So she acts like the pseudo leader until Leo comes. It's kind of where I thought it would go. Either way, April was dope. Uh, the chick from the bear voiced her. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Teenage Ninja Turtles, their ability to play off of each other. Uh, they have, like, a line, and they talk about improv a whole bunch. And then it's so funny that they talk about improv, and then those characters just improv with each other. And you could just feel like it was just them trying to – like when you're with your friends and someone says something and someone else says something and everyone's in stitches, someone else said something and it just spirals. And then there's always that one comment that only three or four people hear and then they're dying laughing. That's exactly what happens when the four Ninja Turtles are on the screen together. 
right? And it's funny because, as you said, like when they had all the young actors go in as the turtles, they were in they were in the booth together, which isn't normal. But they even brought Ice Cube in to riff with them. They would bring other actors. Like if they were in the scenes, they would try to do it all together, and you can feel it. It's hilarious that you mentioned that. Yeah, like they they absolutely knocked it out of the park. My personal favorite was the bacon, egg, and cheese when they're all acting like a bunch of fucking idiots and they're all bacon, egg, and cheese, bacon, egg, and cheese. Just like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I remember being that fucking kid. 1,000%. Like, 1,000%. <laughs> and the thing about that is like, bro, she's even like, I don't think that's going to win them over. But they didn't stop. They loved, They were having so much fun. They were doing every single instance. And she's like, that's not going to win them over. But they didn't give them. They didn't care. because They were just being teenagers. And I was like, that was me to the T, bro. If I felt like doing something stupid, I was doing something stupid. Yeah, no, absolutely. And my, my uh, Jason, I love your question. Uh, everyone hates my answer, but I don't care. My favorite turtle is fucking Leonardo. He's the shit. I love Leonardo. <laughs> Leonardo leads, dog. Leonardo Ugh. leads. Donatello does mean stuff. Let me guess. You like cornflakes and vanilla ice cream, too. I hate vanilla ice cream. I like frosted flakes, though. Don't at me. Corn flakes, sir. Oh. I know I know your favorite turtle is Leonardo, but who was your favorite turtle in this movie? Oh, my favorite turtle in this – I still think Leonardo. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I really enjoyed him. Oh. Yeah, he was he's such a he's such a fool. Like he wants to be a leader so badly, but he like he's he doesn't have the confidence in himself to do it. Uh I I like watching his growth. I you know, surprisingly, I mean I've always liked Donatello, right? Like I've always liked Donatello. But I was never a Michelangelo fan, and in this one he was like more toned down, but still like just magnetic, and I enjoyed him more in this one than I than I have in a lot of other iterations of it. Yeah, they they reined his character in and it made him feel more organic, right? They didn't just force like the party dude on you, but you felt it, like you knew like that was his character. Uh, there's only one right answer. It's Donatello. <laughs> you know, he's got different ones too. Like uh, yeah, my favorite's Raphael, but yeah, yeah, Raph so. is hilarious in this one, dude. Really? He, okay. Yeah, he is. He's still tough, but like his toughness is funny. Because he's, you're just like, man, you're, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> they do like a montage at the beginning where everyone's like masking up and they're like showing off their weapons and Raphael just licks his, his sigh. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> like, what are you doing, dude? I think my favorite thing about Raph, which is like the opposite of Leonardo, right? Is like when things get tough, Raph is like, all right, so I'm good. I did what I wanted to do. I'm, let's just go. Let's just go home. <laughs> when they, because they hit uh, April with the ninja star in the head, and he's like, Raph was like, well, I mean, it was her fault for being there. Let's go get some pizza. <laughs> and then at the end, where there's like this big fight monster scene, he does the same thing. He's like, well, we did what we could. Um, you guys want to go go back home, go to the sewers, just chill. <laughs> It's, uh, it's funny, man. They they all bring out the humor. They all bring it out. What do you think of the new character they introduced? Which new character? Uh, Superfly. Superfly. Uh, didn't they always have like a fly character in the in the? So so that's one thing I wanted to make sure we talked about here before, like you know, 
we'll get it out of the way. Baxter Stockman, the dude who was Superfly's father, uh, turns into a fly in several iterations, right? But Baxter and Baxter Stockman also creates the Mausers in some iterations, right? The little like dino jaw, like robot things. Yeah, yeah, from the video games and stuff. So he creates the Mausers as well. Uh, so he died, right? So and then 15 years later, right? So that's when the baby fly disappears with the rest of the mutants, and so he dies, and then Superfly is there. Superfly is kind of an amalgamation and a new character created specifically for this movie. I I really enjoyed Superfly. Uh, real quick, uh, R.I.P. Baxter Stockman, Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, <laughs> I think he did a real good job right at the start. But I thought Superfly, Ice Cube Superfly was hilarious. He was coming out with lines left and right. My personal favorite was, I'm a mollywop you. And then Donatello, as he's getting beat up, he's like, oh, no, guys, he's mollywopping me. He's yeah. me. I, I died, man. I when, they're fu- <laughs> when they're fighting in the van, the van, and they messed him up. So also shout out the turtle van, right? The pizza van at the end shows up. Uh, that's an homage to the t- Turtle Van Toys that has many iterations from when I was a kid. I remember I had the Hummer from the live-action TV show. <laughs> I had the Hummer with the shooting missile, and then I had the actual Turtle Van uh, with the like uh, lid that pops off so you can sit the turtles in it. Bro, I had so many Ninja Turtle toys. And there was always – there's. I feel like they always have a vehicle in every show or iteration. So – because I guess merchandising. but So they should be getting a turtle band from this one as well. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I don't – I think in the most recent iteration they did as well. Yeah, because they were, they were all in high school in that one too. And I, I think even um, – what's her name? April O'Neil is in high school in that one. By the way, I felt like there were some, uh, some similarities in the Nickelodeon – from the Nickelodeon show to this one. But it was enough to stray away. Uh, shout out to Leonardo's actor. He's from San Antonio. Uh, he also did Amazing World of Gumball, so big shout out to him. And I wanted to give uh, a shout out to the emotional beat of the movie, which they set early, which was good. Uh, when they go see Ferris Bueller's Day Off, one of my favorite movies of all time, and they it just shows their desire to be accepted by the human world, right? Like you can see it in their faces, and it hits the audience. I know it hit. I know it hit my daughter. Like she was into it. She was like, "Oh man, they they want to be with regular people." I was like, "Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do." Um, yeah, so- I have that in my notes. I have acceptance and connections. Right, like that was the main storyline the whole time. Right, everyone just wanted to be connected and they wanted to be accepted, and that was like the overarching story. Uh, so I thought they did a very good job of telling that while maintaining like the, the comedic timing of everything. So I, I thought that was pretty good. And, and, and I could be wrong, but I think every turtle in some iteration has had a crush on April O'Neil. Like this one was Leo. Then the 2012 show was Donatello. The original 1990 movie was Raph. And I think in the 80s show, was it not Michelangelo? It was Mikey. Yeah, I mean, I've only ever known Mikey to have a crush on April. Well, I think all of them, kind of, but like the major crush. Yeah. Just not at the same time is what I was what I was seeing. Because in the 
show, right, in the in the most recent show, it was just Donnie, but they gave him so much shit for it. And this one, it's just Leo, right? And then in the 90s movie, I, I just remember them giving Raph a lot of shit. And he's like, oh, don't, don't, don't talk shit to me. So yeah, was, uh, the shower, the tub scene, the tub scene with Raph, they have him in the tub trying to get him to recover. <laughs> I was like, okay, unnecessary love story. <laughs> <laughs> He's a turtle, you know. This ain't gonna work. <laughs> yeah. So that. So those are like my the overarching thoughts, right? I love that they used ooze again, right? Ooze. And they made like a point to take a shot at the Michael Bay movies. Uh, so that was, was that pretty tight. It was a shot because Michael Bay, they were aliens in the Michael Bay movie, right? Similar to Transformers, right? And I was just like. Michael Bay, that's Transformers. Transformers are aliens. Ninja Turtles are mutant. It says it in the name. Like, you can't... It's not Teenage Alien Ninja Turtles, right? Although, fire spinoff idea. <laughs> I'd still watch it, but... <laughs> I, so, the fact... And that was one of my favorite parts from the trailer, right? Because they, they kept putting ooze everywhere. And the way, like, the kid says it, the little turtle's fingers... Yeah, it just kind of rolls better. <laughs> it flows better. Ooh, so you like it. <laughs> I thought that was tight. And then, so they brought back the ninja rat. They did. They did real quick. Real quick. Very brief, but I remember going, go ninja, go ninja, go. Go ninja. I uh, love that, dude. So I, was, I was super hyped about that. They popped into Eastman High School. Shout out Kevin Eastman, one of the creators. And when they first and when they first meet April, right? I saw I looked up and I hit Eric and I was like, look, layered. It says layered behind April. And uh layered is the other creator, Peter Laird. Well, I didn't even know. Oh, that's sick. Okay. So when I saw both names, my eyes lit up both times. Um oh. Uh, yeah, that'll be post movie. So I have some stuff lined up for. for <laughs> okay. I, I'm trying to go. I went overarching right now. I'm just thinking fun thoughts, and then I'll, I'll let us talk about the movie, and then I'll talk about where I think it's gonna go from here. Oh yeah, uh, about that. One thing I always thought about the whole movie was why doesn't Donatello have like NBA goggles? Instead of just glasses with no ears, <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, where the fuck are the glasses hanging out to? It wasn't like it to me. I thought it was funny because it's a cartoon, right? Because you know how like cartoons just have like crazy like little things that are just off. But the whole time I was thinking like, he has no ears. How are those glasses staying on? They would bob with his face. I was like, what is happening, dude? <laughs> and uh, let's see. And the last thing, oh. Shout out Jackie Chan. I love cheesy old kung fu movies, right? So when they made Jackie Chan Master Splinter, and he plays an excellent father in this movie, by the way. Yeah, uh, his yeah. character moments were kind of what held the whole movie together. Without Jackie Chan as Master Splinter, I think this movie falls apart. But they start showing real-life action movies, and the movie that put him on the map in America, right – uh, Snake in the Eagle Shadow. They show cutscenes from that. Dude. Sick. That was like the. That was like I went back and watched that Jackie Chan movie after I had watched all the other Jackie Chan movies because I was like, oh, this is the one that put him on the map. 
So it was cool to see that when they were they were doing the training montage and they were using like they were using like infomercial tapes that they found in like the eighties. And I was just like, yo, and I didn't know they were real things, by the way. I didn't know that. But as I'm watching, I was like, yo, I guarantee you this is a real fucking thing from oh, the eighties. Absolutely. It looked like it. <laughs> and I was dying laughing, bro. They're teaching like the bow staff techniques, right? My Mikey's fighting, he gets his stick broken in half, and then he's all of a sudden like, and you see how like the idea for nunchucks came for his character. Like, so there was really cool beats in the in the movie like that. Um they talk about the Ninja Turtles last name. Oh yeah. What are their last names? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Uh and shout out to the fact that they made a point to talk about how the sides are actually defensive. I was like, oh, that's a good, that's a good, because there's all those theories, right, about how each weapon uh, is designed to challenge each turtle, right? And I was so glad that they threw that in there because they know that people talk about that when they talk about the turtles. Yeah, and that that was, I thought that was dope because Raph's weapons, like the way they're designed with the two side hooks, I'm always like, you know, like who are you stabbing like that, bro? <laughs> what happens if you don't go far enough in, bro? But it's all about, D wet D you know disarming that's what size are for they're used to disarm right so that's why you can use it lock and leverage whatever weapon they have out of it and so that was something that that was something I looked into as a kid because it didn't make sense to me yeah but then when you see it 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 all makes so much sense yeah and for those of you who don't know what we're talking about here Jermaine can you talk about each weapon and how it's supposed to challenge uh, each member of the team uh, so Leo is the leader with the katanas and man, I probably should have looked this up for the show, but, uh, so he's the leader with the katanas and what essentially it, that one is, is the most balanced, right? Katanas can be offensive and defensive and twin, twin wielding for the most balanced of the, of the, of all of them. Right. So, um, exactly. And most deadly Leo is, is smart. He's funny. He's strong, right? Where Raph is strong, Donatello's smart, and Mikey is funny. And that's why the katana was given to Leo because he's supposed to be all the turtles. He's supposed to be the embodiment of all the, t- all, all the turtles. Uh, the bow staff is given to Donnie because Donnie has the sharpest wit, right? And where people see something so benign as a walking staff or a bow staff, Donatello looks at it and sees an ever-changing world of possibilities of what he can leverage the bow staff for. And you even see it in in like the particular van scene where they use it to shoot the the enemies out of the van, right? By hitting on the brake. And that's why he is a that's why he's given the bow staff, because he can use it to the ability that no one else could, right? Also, shout out the the Jujutsu Kaisen reference from earlier. He actually had a sticker on his bow staff in this this movie from Jujutsu Kaisen. It's one of the the characters. Um, The size, we touched about it. Raph is all power. He's all bronze. And he wants to go, go, go and be in there. So instead of giving him an offensive weapon for him to go in and dominate the way he has to, it challenges him to think of situations in a more pragmatic approach. And 
Right. So now he's not just now he's still has the strength, right? He still has the offense, but he also has the ability to take down larger opponents and, and use those weapons for when he's in close combats, close quarters, because that's how Raph likes to fight. And then ultimately, uh, Mikey is an absolute space cadet, has been in every single thing, the comics, the television shows, the movies. My guy is on his own. He's OFP all the time. Right. And nunchucks, if any of you have ever picked up nunchucks, they just go right. As soon as you hold it, they just go it, like you one flick of the wrist and the nunchucks literally can't stop. So in order for Mikey to le- leverage these weapons, he had to actually focus. He had to take his entire mentality and focus just on the nunchucks for him to master ninjutsu and, and you know, and Kung Fu in that way. And so that's why Splinter, you know, ended up picking those weapons for each individual. And they actually kind of go through it. In, and the best part about the montage when they're showing them training is they show you why each character settles on it. And without insulting your intelligence, they don't have to tell you this is why they settled on it. But you can pick up on little bits and pieces as to like, oh, because of this, he has this and you already know what weapons they have, but they kind of, you know, a full circle moment. Um, but yeah, those are the weapons. And then Splinter is a savage with all of them. And also the, one of the cool things, although they didn't kind of lean into it at the end, which I thought they were going to, unless I wasn't paying attention, but he breaks his foot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and then he gets a cane. And Splinter always had the cane and the staff. And at the end of it, when he broke his foot, I was like, there it is. There it is. But I don't know if he still had the just pointing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure if he had the cane still when he was healed at the end. I'd have to rewatch the movie to remember if he had that. But if he did, that's an excellent, excellent beat of storytelling. Because I thought that was the first thing I instantly thought when I saw him down on the ground before the people started helping him. Yeah. Um just to jump into a few other points, I wanted to give a huge shout out to the musical score. They blend some of the 80s style that they grew, they they were made in, and then it really works with new sounds. Uh, shout out to one of my favorite bands, Nine Inch Nails. That's Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. They did the score. Uh, you'll know them from other scores, like I think they did Gone Girl. They did um, Social Network. They are Oscar nominated, and you just see the music shine and really give the movie... Uh, a certain kind of life that is just fantastic. I also thought they used uh, rap really well, specifically in the montage that they do uh, when they're beating up all those bad guys to figure out uh, where to find the the people who have uh, those shipments that fly guys. Yeah, yeah, to find Superfly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like normal Nate and uh, dude, those names all cracked me up. Yeah. I don't remember him now off the top of my head. I remember normal name because of the, the alliteration. I was just like, what kind of name? It was so awesome. I would love to look up if those were even in the comics. That's something I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm sure, um, I'm sure they pulled them. I'm sure they did. That's, 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 and they're also named very 80s comic books. You know what I mean? Like the names they have are very 80s comic books where like, Stan Lee had set the alliteration of like Susan Storm, Reed Richards, Peter Parker, Bruce Banner, right? So he's done that like all throughout all throughout 
like comics, right? And that's what the stuff people grew up on. So that was kind of cool. I would like to look into that. I actually don't don't have anything on that. But um, all right, I, I touched on I touched on we already talked about the teenage part. So if you don't have anything else, uh, I would like to jump into post. All right, Ooh. so post movie wraps up, right? Uh, for context, uh, for you, Jason, since you didn't know, and also I'm pretty sure we just have spoilers by default disclaimer, but uh, spoilers. Um, Baxter Stockman is researching mutation, and 15 years prior to the events of this movie, uh, has a falling out, and the ooze spills into the sewers, creating the, the mutants, and Baxter Stockman is quote-unquote dead. We'll start with that there. Uh, Luigi, do you think Baxter Stockman's coming back as a Mauser? What a theory. You know, that would be interesting to watch. I don't know. I All I know is that I think that that, that French woman is one of the aliens, the Utrams. Well, her name is Cynthia Utram, so that's not like oh. a big leap. I didn't even realize that. Well, <laughs> yeah, so... I mean, hey, you put one and two together, so I, at least they didn't slip that by you. But, yeah, her name is Cynthia Utram. So that was my first question. I think he comes back as a Mauser, as, like, a mechanized Mauser with his, like, intelligence in it. So that's how I think they bring Baxter Stockman back into it, which is also important because Superfly still exists. That's true. Right? The tiny little fly. Superfly is – captured by Cynthia Utra, right, which Luigi expertly pointed out that she is an alien. Uh, she, hasn't she hasn't captured. Before Superfly mutated all those animals and created this amalgamation, uh, like this like Godzilla-type terror, he even says Godzilla in the movie a bunch of times, uh, before, he before he created that, the TRCI, right, that's yeah, T sorry, TCRI, I forgot. I don't know if you can look what up what TCRI looks stands for, Jason. I forgot what it was like. Techno. You got it right so far. Let me see. Yeah. Uh, me Cybernetics see. Research Institute. Techno Cosmic Research Institute. Ah, all right. So yeah, Techno Cosmic Research Institute. I forgot what the C was for. Um yes, so for 15 years, she has been failing at mutating animals, right? And then Superfly finally does it, and she captures Superfly at the end. So now that 15-year thing is no longer an issue because she has the ability to make more mutants. So that's going to play a, a huge key into it, right? So, And as Luigi pointed out, Cynthia Utram is part of the Utrams, and everyone is familiar with the Utrams from Ninja Turtles because of Krang. Okay. Krang is an Utram, and they actually make Super Krang, right? And I will get into some of my – I also have a things to check out portion if you're trying to expand your Ninja Turtles lore. So I'll give you some stories and some TV shows and stuff for you to check out, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But as part of that, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 2003 – had like 150-something episodes, right? And it's one of the ones that fell in this weird spot where kids didn't actually watch it. But in that, they had Utram Shredder. I think I remember that. They have Utram Shredder in that cartoon, 
And the fact that Shredder wasn't in this and they aren't doing the Foot Clan association thing and Shredder shows up at the end. Now we'll get into that spoiler. Uh, another name you can have for this episode is Enter the Shredder, right? Because Shredder shows up at the end and now we're going to get to the epic showdown of Shredder versus the Ninja Turtles. I am fascinated to see if they pull from that 2003 television show and create Ultron Shredder for him to end up eventually fighting the Ninja Turtles. That's just something that I've pulled from my memory of the Ninja Turtles. I don't know if that's where they're going. Just something I think is dope to watch out for. And um, let's see. Talked about Super Krang, Cynthia, TCRI, the mutations. Uh, and then I asked about the return of Baxter Stockton. And then the last thing, Luigi, did you see the moving truck with the giant triceratops on it? No. Okay. There's a moving truck, Jason. It's like in the first 30, 45 minutes of the movie. Okay. There's a tri- there is a triceratops on the truck. Those, you know, uh, anthropomorphized triceratops, triceratops are actually a species called triceratons. Okay. And so Why? I think familiar. <laughs> You should, if you look up triceratons, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like these triceratops, right? Armored, yeah. they carry guns and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if the triceratons, I don't know if they're going to be evil in this or good, but I wonder if the triceratons are going to come into conflict with the Utrams and the Ninja Turtles are going to be in the middle of it. We, uh, we, we fought them in uh, the, the game that we played, the, the new Ninja Turtle game. Shredder's Revenge, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so the Triceratons. Yeah, the Triceratons are dope. They're some of my favorites. I remember loving them as a kid. Yeah, I think. Yeah, they look sick. I'm looking at it now. All right. you Sorry, you were kind of frozen on my end, so I, I wasn't sure. You're good now. You're good now. Uh, yeah, so that was the last thing I wanted to point out the Triceratons because when I saw the moving truck, I was just like, I was like, oh, dude, I tell you, I saw so many things. Jason, keep an eye out. April O'Neil has a notebook, and she just writes all these questions down. Each of the questions is hysterical. The only one I remember, though, uh, besides the do you have ears thing, because she asks that in the in the movie. But I remember I turned to Eric, and I was just like, yo, she's like questioning the psyche of Raph. Because she was like, how many people? I think she writes like, how many people did Raph kill, and <laughs> with his weapons or something like that. Uh, so I I don't remember the the whole question, but that when that notebook shows up, try to read as many as you can. They're hysterical, uh, and then so, and that that's kind of the last thing. So I I think what we're going for is there might be a Krang war right was what i think they might be doing and so that takes me into things to watch out for unless you have anything else you wanted to touch base on luigi no that's right. it for me um, just uh, a quick note about the director i guess uh seth rogan and the director did make sure not to overwork the animators and they got probably some of the best animation i've seen so uh treat your animators right guys <laughs> also only have them animate an hour and 35, 40 minute movie instead of. 
but no, absolutely. I, you definitely want to treat those guys right. They're doing the, the bulk of your, your, the lifting, you know? Um, but so, uh, things to check out, right? So besides the OG cartoons, which started in 1987, uh, as Luigi mentioned, I think they ran until 94. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not gonna say, okay. Uh, so the OG cartoons, Loved them, had them on VHSs. They had the side panels of the 90s, which was always sick. Uh, and then the OG films where we talked about Go Ninja, the one where they dress like Ronins and travel through time, probably my favorite, but might be like the least loved of all of them. And then they also had Tokar and Razar in them, uh, which are is another awesome duo from the comics. Speaking of, uh, and that's where I go into uh, Sophie Campbell's run currently on Ninja Turtles has reinvigorated the series. She oh. is doing a lot of awesome things. She um, she uh, introduced the fifth turtle, Jenica, right? Jenica is a female turtle, which Luigi, I think your daughter would absolutely love this. So that's that's part of the, the stories right now. They introduced Jenica and Jenica is actually a tuning from Splinter's Foot Clan, who dated or had a romantic relationship with Casey Jones. And she is human and becomes a turtle because of a blood transfusion from everyone's least favorite, Leonardo. Whoa. <laughs> That's fucking unnecessary. Unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, so she's doing that. Uh, she also did. She also did Tokar, Razor, uh, Bebop, and Rocksteady. So there's the attack on the Technodrome, which might have some pieces also in the next iteration of the Turtles movie. Uh, attack on the Technodrome is uh, near and dear to my heart because it's amazingly tragic, but uh, it's actually Donatello's death. So. Uh, Bebop and Rocksteady get sledgehammers and beat the fuck out of Donatello, cracking his shell and killing him. So they completely obliterate his shell and kill him. Wow. Yeah, so that's like Attack on the Technodrome. If you want to read that storyline, that's the one you want to go check out. That's Donnie's death. Uh, Gut-wrenching for me because Donatello's always been my favorite. Uh, let's see. I already mentioned the Krang War. And then, obviously, Eastman and Laird's OG run. Um, and they had the – and then I had the mid-2010s Nickelodeon run, which I kind of already touched on. But that kind of repopularized the Turtles for the current generation. Very well done. Uh, and it, if, from what I've seen, I haven't seen it all, but it was very good from what I've seen in the episodes I have seen. And then, ultimately, like the last one to check out is Krang War. Uh, just a fire story uh, has um, the Neutronians, right? The Neutronians, the little hipsters with like the Jetsons haircut with the, with the sharp ears it has the Neutronians in it has the Utrons. I believe the Triceratons are in that there's all kinds of stuff going on in the Krang war. Uh, definitely want to check that out. I think well, if I still have that pulled up for me. Yeah. I have Krang war right here. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's the one where they go to – oh, sorry, Dimension X. That's the one where they go to Dimension X, and uh, they save the Neutrino royal family. So that's a fire storyline that you should definitely check out. And then the last thing is playmatestoys.com. 
No, we are not sponsored. But PlaymatesToys.com are doing the current iteration of the Ninja Turtle toys, and they are awesome. Do yourself a favor. If you're a big Ninja Turtle fans, go check them out. They have the little Ninja Turtles bef- when they're in the ooze before they become big turtles. They even have those toys. Uh, they have a turtle van already. On, on that, they have a turtle van. They have a sewer layer. I, I mean, like, if you were into the 90s toys with the play sets and the bands and, the, and all the opposability, these Playmates toys are outstanding. So wanted to end with that plug. No, yeah, and, you know, you they are the ones that you see throughout. I think these are the same ones that are at the stores too, right? Yeah, they should be in stores. Absolutely, yeah. But you yeah. obviously uh, I give the website because, you know, but you can find them at, like, my brother has found them at Walmart, Target, you know. We got my like daughter, uh, Michael, because before this movie, Michelangelo was her favorite. And then after this movie, it's Donnie. Uh, Let's go! I I wasn't hating either. I was like, Donnie is my second favorite, so I'm cool with that. Um, But she had had the nunchucks, and now she wants the staff. She wants the staff. Yeah, these look great. They're the exact ones that you see. If you want to go straight to uh, support the site, support the company itself, go to the site, man. Yeah, this is dope. I'm surprised you didn't mention The Last Ronin. I, I briefly mentioned it. You can talk about the last run. I did. I, ju- I just said the name. I figured everyone knows about the last run right now. Cause it, I mean, I told everyone I could when it was coming out. So <laughs> I figured everyone did the same thing. Yeah, we and bit also we mentioned it. It's in the works of maybe a live action. So. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll do that. Um, God, I did forget to mention one joke from the film, which uh, at one point they all think they're going to die. And Donnie says, I wish I could have seen BTS IRL. And then they start trying to sing BTS for him. Fucking hilarious. It was fantastic. (laughs) Jason, you hit us up when you figure out what what Splinter's biggest fear is and if he's correct or not. As a a father, his biggest fear is. (laughs) Yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that running joke. He's like, "What is that? Is that what is what does that machine say?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let us know when you figure out what we're talking about. We'll we'll plug that little spoiler. But I think I no. think I'm gonna go this weekend for sure. Oh um, yeah, until your family comes into town, and then uh, no, no. I, I think <laughs> I'll have time this weekend. Uh, I am helping my parents move, but uh, I think I'll have time this weekend. It's a short movie too, so. Jermaine, uh, what would you rate this film? Uh, this, I would give a 7-9. Seven, 7-9. Nine. Seven, nine. Nice. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. I'm still slightly higher. I'm giving it an 8.0. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I definitely – I can't wait to see more of this. The, the animation style, the characters, the way they were developed was well done. I think the story just works fantastically. Uh, and shout out to Seth Rogen for putting some of his friends in there. You see Rose Burns voiced, uh, voices Leatherhead. Leatherhead. She did a great job. Yeah. Paul Rudd's in it as uh, Mondo. Mondo Gecko? Mondo Mondo Gecko. Mondo Gecko. So my, Mikey and Mondo were my brother's ultimate favorite. So as soon as he watched it, I was just like, how geeked were you when Mondo and Mikey were just riffing and getting along? So I was just like, dude, it was the best part. 
it was the best part. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> really? Yeah, I know. All right. Before we dip out, last thing I want to do is would you try it, right? Pizza edition, right? So Ooh, the Ninja Turtles, um, yeah. Ninja Turtles are um, big pizza heads, right? Obviously. Uh, that's actually the food question. That's one of April O'Neil's questions about pizza. I think she asks like what her, what they're or in the notebook is she's like what's your favorite pe- what's a good pizza spot right in New York, but uh, they're known to try crazy pizzas in the cartoons and so I'll give you some and you'll tell me if you would try it or not. Ready? Go. Oreos and French fries pizza a la Mr. Deeds. Yes. Yeah, I would try that. Yeah, Oreos and French fries. That would, yeah. I mean, I like putting my fries in McFlurry, so I feel like putting yeah. that is not that far. I, w- I would try it. Okay, so we got we got one. You'll try that one. Would you try a – this is from the cartoons. Would you try a oh. peanut butter clam pizza? No. That <laughs> throws me off. I, I don't yeah. know if that no. would be good, man. That's a no for me, dog. Would you try a marshmallow and pepperoni pizza? Yes. Yes. Would you try, let's see, I'm just going to come up with concoctions in my head now. Would you try a steak and Nutella pizza? Oh, Ooh, um, Nutella kind of throws me off, but because I'm not a fan of Nutella, but steak, thinking, I'll do it. I'm thinking almost mole. I got one for you guys that they tried, the cast tried. Um, peanut butter, jelly, and sushi pizza. No. Ugh. No, that's <laughs> gross. What about what about chicken gummy bears and Chick Fil A sauce? No, I hate <laughs> no. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I got one for you guys. What about a uh, pepperoni, pineapple, and high and uh, pepperoni, pineapple, and jalapenos? Oh, easy yes. Easy yes. That's the JC special, <laughs> baby. What you talking about, bro? Sweet, salty, spicy? What? There's no better pizza, bro. Uh, no better yes, pizza. fantastic, too. I, I, like, I know people that order that on the regular. That's that's been like that's like my the reason why Jason's calling it out. That's what I call the J. There's there's two JC specials. JC special number one is what Jason just said: pineapple, pepperoni, and uh, and uh, jalapenos. Sorry, boys, my eyes are watering all of a sudden i'm crying because of how good this movie is and then the jc special number two is is two large pizzas <laughs> <laughs> so like any pizza place <laughs> you know and well, i got one for you guys uh they ask she asks in the movie do you guys eat pizza for breakfast? And Mikey immediately is like, actually, I just had a pizza with uh, waffle bits on it. Would you do a, wa- a pizza with waffle bits on it? And that one sounded yeah, good. Uh, that one yeah, sounded yeah, good. That did. Oh, uh, I, had, um, I had a street corn pizza once. That shit was fire. That sounds fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yo, that was in Phoenix just recently. I think you hit me up and told me about that. Yes, sir. It was in uh, Strawberry, Arizona. Where we had there you it. go. When you were on the yeah yeah yeah, you and your girl went to that place. Yeah 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 yeah. You, you told uh, me about that. Yeah, yeah. I recommend it. Uh, we I, I tried this um, uh, baked potato pizza too. Really good. Oh, uh, that sounds like it might be pretty Fire. good actually. 
Like with bacon bits, some green onions, the whole shebang, bro. It's like a baked potato. Yeah. What about a, a what about a tomahawk pizza? It's got the bone and then the crust is on the underneath of the steak, bro. And you put a little slight A one on it. I mean, I'm always down for steak, so I would say yes. <laughs> I don't know. I just had a tomahawk. That's why I popped in my head. <laughs> All right, boys. Let's uh, let's wrap it up here. And do you guys have any shout outs? Starting with Jason. Yeah, man. Just shout out to everyone uh, returning to school. So shout out to my nephews and nieces that started school. Uh, good luck, Luigi. Hopefully, you like your students this year. Hopefully, they're not uh, stressful. And uh, Jayman, I will see you later on this month, man. Yes, sir. Should be like two weeks. Two weeks from now. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited so. to get out of this heat. Or, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dude, uh, it was hot today. I couldn't imagine where you're at, bro. Uh, I saw next Wednesday is going to be 119 the high. So, yeah. Hide your, hide your kids, hide your wife, bro. Yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. We were out there for, although that time we spent on the river, it didn't get there. But by the end of the day, it was 117. So, that's yeah. Cool. Water was nice. Water was nice. Uh, Jermaine, you got any shout-outs? Uh, shout-out IDW, current printers of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line. Uh, shout-out Old Hob, uh, one of the main villains that came out of the IDW line. It's a cat with the eye patch, and he's, um, you know, he's one of the people that jeopardized uh, Jenica to create her. Oh, snap. Okay. What about you, Luigi? Uh no shout outs, just shout out to our supporters. Shout out to, to Gabby, as always. Uh, and that's all for me, guys. Cowabunga. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we love you guys. We appreciate you. And we'll see you guys next week for another episode of Revenge of the Pod. Peace out, guys. Cowabunga!